Hey, real quick, Eric from Tap That AZ. Go to patreon.com forward slash tap that AZ. Join the Patreon team and you get to binge listen to all seven episodes of this Cicerone series. Also, free shirts, swag bags, stickers, cool stuff, early access to episodes. Go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash tap that AZ. Make sure you guys check out Inkle Do. These guys are awesome. Buy their coffee. It's awesome. You're awesome. Bye. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is episode two of the CISA 5 miniseries here. We are diving into the very first section here of the Cicerone Certified Beer Server Outline, which is titled Keeping and Serving Beer. We are joined by a few esteemed guests. One is Zach from Four Peaks, comes with a lot of knowledge. And then also Alec from over at King's Beer and Wine, who also has a lot of experience with the beer. So we we kick it off and dig into keeping and serving, and we start beer styles, but that ends abruptly. You'll see why, and we'll pick it up in the next episode. So listen in. So that brings me to uh, this next little tidbit for you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Tap That AZ Podcast. I'm here with the Inkle Do Boys. They let us come back. AJ's over there. Um, and then I also have some other very special, very important guests with me. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. But today we are going to be talking about segment two of our Cicerone Sissified podcast. Um, I am, again, Liz Limberg, your mediator, your beer mediator. Um, the boys today are going to be talking about some really cool things that, uh, for those of you who aren't very familiar with, are the inner workings of craft beer or just beer in general. Uh, serving it is going to be one of our topics today. We're also going to get into styles a little bit later. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Um, over here to my right... Hello, hello, hello. Hey, it's Mr. Um, Alec. Go ahead and introduce yourself, darling. Hi, everybody. I am Alec Johnson. I work over at King's Beer and Wine. I've been here for about two years now. Been in the beer industry for about five years now or so. I got started working as a sales rep for uh, Barrio Brewing Company down in Tucson. Uh, eventually made my way up over here to King's. I worked for Freakin' as a, as a rep and now back over at King's again. I can't, uh, can't get myself away from I behind know, the right? bar. What are you drinking, by the by? I... I'm drinking the Hanamachi Rice Lager from uh, Bottle Logic. Mm. Something light and easy. It's Sunday morning. It's we don't Sunday need to go morning. too hard yet. Easy like Sunday morning. Sing it. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah, they don't pay me to sing. They don't pay me to do anything. But drink. <laughs> um, so speaking of, uh, I'm having from Tombstone their passion fruit Berliner Weiss. Oh, again, it's breakfast. Fruit. It's breakfast time. <laughs> Zach, go ahead and introduce yourself for me. All right. I am uh, Zach Fowl. I am with uh, Four Peaks Brewing Company, currently working as their uh, communications manager. Been in the beer industry for a long time. Um, I've been writing about beer for probably about a decade now. Uh, with First with the uh, Phoenix New Times. Worked for a little bit at Draft Magazine. Rest in peace. Pour out a little bit for Draft. <laughs> um, I've worked all over the industry, too. I uh, was a bartender at a place called World of Beer. Pour one out for them as well. World of beer, rest in peace. <laughs> uh, spent the a one time. on Mill Avenue, right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> uh, spent a little time at uh, Pedal House Brewery, mm. and then uh, yeah, now at uh, Four Peaks, handling all the uh, the messaging, the social media, the website, all that. That's stuff. a lot. Rock the on. Media That's, a That's a huge yeah. job. That's a, a huge job. A fun job. Hats off I would to love you. to pick your brain later for stuff too. Okay. Yay, congrats. Deal. Okay, and last but not least, welcome back. Uh, it's okay. I'm, I am definitely least here. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, AJ with Inkledoo, um, my beer experience is 
14 years of legally being allowed to drink it. Uh, <laughs> and I've always been someone who's just sort of enjoyed a bunch of different styles and things like that, trying beers that I can't find in other places. And today, drinking one that is neon green and <laughs> wild, still really delicious, though. Like, Tell us about it. So this is from the Bottle Logic, and it's the Roswell. Sure, sure swell. And it's it's a sour. More mic warm-ups. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a sour, and I've had a lot of sours, especially recently. This one is the one that is doing the least joking when it calls itself a sour. <laughs> it is straight-up tart, and it's delicious, though. I really like it. Um, it is one that if someone had just poured the glass and put it in front of me with no warning, I'd have been super uncomfortable with until I had gotten a description of it. I mean, no one's typically ready for, you know, the enamel off your teeth to almost be right. ripped right. off. Yeah. yeah, you need to be warned for that first. It yeah, also absolutely. looks like something that you would get slimed with in Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, or it looks like something out of Harry Potter. Like yeah. It looks like Polly G's potion. <laughs> I was thinking uh, from Nick when they used to slime everybody, drop it on. Exactly. Yeah, oh, the goo. yeah. yeah. If I said the word or whatever, all of a sudden it's coming down off the ceiling on me. (laughs) Wait, what's that? (laughs) Today we're going to go ahead and have our guest. Oh, sorry, Zach. Uh, First of all, your glass is empty. But second, what were you drinking? I was drinking uh, (laughs) Moonraker Mellow Eyes, a quite lovely hazy IPA. Nice. And I'm debating what I'm going to have next. Right? That's that's the thing. If only there were options. If only we were (laughs) at a bar with like 80 beers on tap. We've got plenty of options for you. Hop- <laughs> there are plenty of opportunities for you ha- for, uh, for a I beer like in the future. Opportunities. The content machine. <laughs> so, Zach, go ahead and give us just a really quick uh, intro to what you're going to be talking about. So, I'm going to be talking about the keeping and serving beer section of the uh, certified beer server syllabus, which is all about how to make sure that the beer that you are serving uh, is you know appropriate for. Uh, flavor and you know expiration dates, thing like things like that. Uh, making sure it's you know coming out of the taps appropriately. Making sure that uh, the beer that is being served over the bar is uh, tasting and looking and smelling as good as it should be. You take the reins. Go ahead and tell us what you know about keeping and serving beer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Man, no, no, just, just the life. About life. No, yeah. just about life. <laughs> you, I got that. you seem like a really Never interesting guy. Angry, take a lot of walks the on the beach. Begins. You know. Take some time to do you. Self-care. Treat yourself. It's all about self-care at this podcast. Um, So we're going to talk about keeping a serving beer, which covers a broad range of uh, topics, especially in the certified beer server uh, study guide, um, from purchasing and bringing beer in to maintaining it in your cooler. It's, you know, this is stuff that's focused on if you were a bartender or a, a beer buyer at your local bottle shop or, or brewery or beer bar, how would you make sure that the beer coming into your shop and going out to the customer is as awesome as fresh, awesome and fresh as it could be? Uh, so, um, I mean, the the study guide uh, starts off with a little bit of a uh, discussion of the three-tier system, which is a fascinating topic <laughs> that I could go into for hours and hours Riveting. and hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting so many frowny faces right oh, now. Oh, no. I'm ge- I am I give you nothing but smiles, Zach. I, I'm excited to hear this. You got a frowny face from Again. me. Again. Really, all you need to know <laughs> about the three-tier system is that legally in the U.S., breweries have to sell to distributors, and then distributors sell to retailers, the people who sell to customers, except when they don't. So <laughs> it's a really <laughs> messed up system. Except when they don't. 
<laughs> There's a lot of breweries that don't have to abide by those rules. So why? So why? So I'm gonna pause right there. So why is it? Why is that a thing? Why are we not like following these guidelines and these rules? It was set up uh, as a system after prohibition, as uh, one of the ways to kind of alleviate the problems that led to prohibition in the first place, which was uh, tight things called tide houses, basically bars mm-hmm. owned by breweries. Um, it you know it artificially inflates the price by setting up a middleman to uh, take the beer between the brewery and the retailer, which in turn makes people buy less beer. So it, there's a whole a range of reasons for it, and it's a, a lot of fun logistics that's, go into it. That's for another episode. Yes. Yeah. I would Bring love. Me back I would love. I would love to to have just like an industry like. Okay, well, I can find this beer at this one spot. Why can't I find it at another? Mm-hmm. And it's not just you know necessarily price points or availability, but because of this integrated little tier in the three tier system yeah. yeah in my role at, at four peaks we only we distribute to eight states right now and the number one question that i get from customers is like someone who lives in pennsylvania like where can i get kill lifter i'm like nowhere you live sorry <laughs> I'm like why not why can't i do it why can't you just deliver it straight to me and the reason is the three tier system got it okay so keep going with the three tier system sorry for me squirreling I do that a lot. Although, real just quick, I do just really love the fact that you describe the three-tier system the way I describe every rule of the English language in the classroom. <laughs> so this is how it works, except, except when it doesn't matter. All of the other times, <laughs> except all the times it doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so part of the the three-tier system, the way that these things work, is that uh, certain taxes are levied on beer f- when it's produced at the brewery, when it goes to the distributor, and when you buy it. As a customer, so as a certified beer server, you need to have a little bit of a knowledge of these called excise taxes. Basically, the the taxes that brewers pay when they make beer that goes to the federal government that pays for all kinds of things. Got it. Um, so prohibition really was an awful time in the United States I mean, for really. our, so many reasons. For horrendous. our community, yeah, exactly. But yeah, a lot of stuff came out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of you know the the way that we do business now is a result of, of prohibition and that giant mistake. On sure. all of humanity. Uh, the yeah, yeah. Cicerone study guide also covers uh, assessing beer shipments, basically uh, making sure that the stuff that's coming into your uh, beer bar, brewery, um, beer store, etc., is uh, right. That right. It's, it's within what we call at the brewery we call spec, uh, which means it's uh, you know in a keg that isn't dented, full of holes, stuff like that. <laughs> it isn't hot to the touch because uh, hot beer is terrible. Um, it isn't super old, mm-hmm. uh, which we know old beer is bad beer. Uh, so all of these things are things you need to, to check on whenever you're getting a, uh, a new beer at your uh, your bar. Got it. And um, we're going to get into that a little bit later, too, when we're talking about styles, about whether or not you're being served a properly fresh beer or not, and yeah. how you can tell that this happens. And obviously, it's very rare. Um, I've, in my experience, our tap rooms and our breweries don't, you know, necessarily neg- ne- neglect the fact that there is an expiration date on your beer. Um, but it is something good to know. Like if you are traveling, you know, to another bar, if you've been somewhere new or you see like your beer and you're like, oh, yes, this is like my beer. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's a great, great little mini topic that we'll get onto later. For uh, sure. Keep going. All right. So uh, the next section on the uh, the study guide is about uh, serving alcohol. Basically, what are alcohol's effects on the system? And if anyone who has had a few beers before, a few too many beers, knows uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. firsthand what those effects are. Not me, are. not ever. Sure. Um, Wait. St. So, Patrick's Day? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the way that alcohol works in your system, you know, you 
uh, every time you drink, your alcohol, blood alcohol content goes up. Yeah, cheers to that. <laughs> you know what, In everybody, process. gentlemen, cheers. cheers <laughs> to you. There we go. Okay, there it goes. There we go. All right. Anybody says cheers, we so have there's to. there's a fun thing in Finnish culture that you have to make eye contact with whoever you cheers. Yes, mm-hmm. same with I've never known, known how to do that in right a here. group setting. <laughs> oh, here. There we go. There's one. one. I'm looking at straight out. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the ASMR. Yeah. So beverage. we can get into like very uh, scientific aspects of the absorption and elimination of uh, alcohol. I actually have written down in my notes here uh, a fun little tidbit that most people eliminate 13 to 18 percent milligram percentage of alcohol uh per hour which means that uh you're eliminating about zero or sorry 0.013 to 0.018 percent of your bac every hour so roughly 0.02 so you wait you have two beers you're probably at about 0.06 you wait three hours you should be close to baseline okay just Hmm. a a good roll interesting but there's a lot of other negating circumstances: yeah, yeah. male, female, body weight, body, you know, water composition. Have you mm-hmm. eaten that yeah, day? Yeah. Amount of sleep. Eat? I've actually heard mm-hmm. also definitely attributes to you know how alcohol will affect you. Oh, oh yeah, there's yeah, all totally kinds of stuff. Wide range. Drinking is so. Uh huh. What I'm you're not drinking? A doctor. <laughs> definitely don't take that as like you a, listen no, Zach, no, Zach listen. said that I should be fine after three <laughs> hours listen, Zach could play one on TV and get away with it let's just say that I mean, for the record he's say, tall yeah. enough doctors are always tall on TV listen, I could see <laughs> you on Grey's Anatomy yeah. easily alright bro no I'm just kidding so anyway so no that's really interesting so um <laughs> and I just killed AJ <laughs> uh, it is gone I could totally see you on that show no I'm kidding don't uh, AJ, I could totally see you on that show. Yeah, as one of the patients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just about yeah. to go down for the count. <laughs> uh, I call dibs on being the janitor. <laughs> Fair. I'll be typecast as that sassy nurse. <laughs> <laughs> That sassy nurse. Yeah, that sassy, that sassy no, nurse. You don't even have a name. You're just sassy nurse. Just that sassy nurse, nurse right? Two. Yeah. <laughs> Rolling up the credits, sassy nurse. <laughs> All right. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive into more of like what you found, this three-tier system. What, what do you want to know about the three-tier well, system? Okay, so we've already talked about the three... Sorry, I meant to say we've already touched up on the, the three-tier, three-tier system. system. And alcohol. And alcohol. Okay. okay. So beer storage. Beer storage. Is the next section of topics that you need to know about yes. for yes. the certified beer server. Especially here. people at home. Now, now before you get, dive into it, there are places like where we are here at King's Convenience. Um, you have the Wandering Tortoise. You have the Whining Pig. You have Casual Pint. You have Irene's. You have all these places where you can pick up these great beers in four and six packs and take them home. Now, what do you do with it? Right. What the hell do you do with this glorious, like, bottle of frosted adult beverages? And where do you keep this in your house? Do you keep it in your fridge? Do you keep it in your pantry? Tell us more about that. The number one thing that I think people need to know about beer is that it is brewed cold and packaged cold, and it needs to be kept cold before you decide to drink it. So the first thing you should do when you walk into your house and you have that four-pack, is six-pack, whatever, throw it in your fridge. And if it's not already cold, get it down to a, a serving temperature. And if it is cold, go ahead and, and drink it. But it should always be stored uh, at, if not fridge air temperatures, at least like what we call cellar temperatures, which is like 55 degrees. Uh, anything higher than that, I've heard that basically a day of warm storage 
um, is equivalent to like a week of, mm-hmm. of aging beer. Yeah, Ooh, same thing I know. Okay. In, in the fridge. Yeah. So Can you if, say that one more time? Right. So one day of cold storage, like out at room temperature, like, you know, 70, 80 degrees, is equivalent to a week in the fridge. So if you leave okay. something out for like an entire week, it's equivalent to basically like a month and a half of if you had had it in your fridge. That's that so makes... much more significant than I had thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, I can't tell you how many times like my fridge is full and right. I don't know what else to do with my beer. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take my dark stuff and take it out. Yep. And let yeah. that kind yep. of settle. Yep. Yep. And that's in a whole nother kind of situation, yeah, that's, too. That goes into, like, serving temperatures proper, uh-huh. like, when you should be drinking these beers and things like that. Right, right. But, yeah, the number one thing that I think people need to know about keeping and serving beer is that it's it should be cold at mm-hmm. all times, uh, at least while you're storing it. Um, date coats are also important. We can mm. get into that very uh, in-depth. But... Dang, talk dirty to me. I mean, especially, <laughs> like, you know, as, as a person who works at a beer store, like, it's yes. become such a, uh, almost a fetish for people to, like, check those date codes. And if it's over, like, for especially for, like, hazy IPAs or something like oh, that, yeah. if it's over more than, like, dirty. It's, and it's actually only IPAs. I, I actually had a guy just a couple days ago go into the fridge, open up a, a six-pack box, like, break it open, tore off the <laughs> tore off like, the actual panel right there just so we could check the date on Sir, them. Sir, this is a Wendy's. But what's, but what's funny is we had singles <laughs> right across the row that came from the same batch. So, oh. like, you could just go to the fridge and look. But, but sometimes <laughs> even that, even sometimes when you get the same batch, they'll have different... Yeah. They'll have different expi- expiration dates, but I love that where you're just like people are fetished about it. They're just like, oh, yeah. oh my god, yeah, no, and they find it, and then they they think that it's like absolutely undrinkable, like yeah. it's it's completely spoiled, or there's you know mold or something growing in there. When it's really just like a realization of, oh, well, we just need to properly this needs to go pour down this. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of like how many times we go into our medicine cabinets and we find medications that are like a year right. in expiration. Right. You know, that's pop I mean, em. they are too totally to pop them. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But it's kind happens, of like a thing. You know? But I mean, when when do, when in your in your professional opinion, Zach, how long do you think maybe skipping over this expiration date? How long do you think like that period of time would be? Like obviously, like a year later is definitely going to give you a weird tasting beer. And yeah. assuming proper storage the whole time. Assuming proper sure. storage the whole time. Like the the thing about beer too that a lot of people don't know is that it's not it's not going to go bad, quote unquote. Like sure. it's it's still safe to drink. It's already a fermented product. Yeah. Right. It's it's the way beer is brewed, it's never it's not gonna make you sick if you drink it past its expiration date. Right. Usually. Hopefully. If the brewer is doing what they're shit. If they're doing what they're also how many did we have? <laughs> <laughs> sure it's not gonna make me sick. Different sick. But Different sick. There it's Different it's a perishable product. There is definitely uh a time period where it's it's going to taste like it should and a time period after where it's not going to taste like it should. Um, generally, like a lot of our, most of our uh, code dates, we call them, the, the day that the beer goes bad is like 180 days. So uh, you're looking at six months, basically. Sure. Um, and we, we do a lot at the brewery to, to make sure that, that that, to extend that time period out as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I would say generally three to six months your, your beer is going to start to show some deterioration, especially if you're storing it warm. Um, but again, it's like I see people, especially with, again, with hazy IPAs, if it's over two weeks old, they're not even going to yeah. buy Then it. they'll pitch it. It's right. so and you're like, funny. Why? You know what I do with my expired beer? I turn it into brats. Like I there boil you know. my brats yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what style. Great right? Idea. If I find like a chicken feta sausage one, I'll find like an expired Goza and like throw it in there. Why not? And that's the funny thing about that, too, is, like, dates on the bottom of cans seems to be, like, a point of pride during bottle shares. Like, hey, look, I just got this new other half in, and guess what? It was canned this week. Yeah, like, five days ago. Yeah, It does kind of 
definitely render that like, ooh, who's got the freshest of the freshest? Yeah, the freshest. Yeah, the freshest. Who's got the freshest? Who's the freshest? Um, nice. No, that's very insightful. And I think that's a really important topic for like the public to listen mm-hmm. to. It's like, you know what? You're going to go out. You're going to consume something. You're, you're going to spend your hard-earned money on a package. And I think a lot of one of the ideal things about packaging is the package art. People are really attracted to the package art. And I heard you guys talking about this earlier where it's like, ooh, I found this really, really great like modern times can and it's so intricate and I can just stare at like the bottle art all day, blah, blah, blah. And then they look at the bottom and they're like, oh, it Never was expired like a month ago. <laughs> so what? But that's also another interesting thing too is that people can start training themselves on what off flavors taste like, which is going to be another topic that we're going to get into a little bit later is, okay, let's say you have you know a beer that's maybe three months old. Give it a shot. Try it. Have you had that beer before? Does it taste different than what it did, you know, three months ago than to what you had prior to that? So it's kind of like a neat little like science experiment. And that's really what beer really is, is like a giant science experiment. You have living microbes in something mm-hmm. that you're drinking. And obviously, it's not like it's going to be bad for you, but it's in a sealed contained bottle or can. And just kind of like being cognizant of what you're putting in your body again. You know, and what's fun about that is one we're all talking about the Cicerone and taking the test and you know going up through those ranks and I mean Zach, you can attest to this. Part of it is knowing your off flavors, and if you never drink a beer that has off flavors, <laughs> how are you ever going to know how to pick Thank that out? Thank you. So like yes. literally, when we notice that an IPA, you know, is oh, it's now you know six months old, I take one home and I drink it because I'm like, what what does this taste like? You yeah. know, what How's is it, how has it changed from when exactly right. I had it fresh? Also, something I noticed about hazy IPAs in particular is that. Hmm the the flavor changes like dramatically from you know when it first comes out if a brewery releases it when it's like a few days old to maybe a few weeks down the road mm-hmm. i've noticed actually i like some of the hazy ipas more that i've had three weeks later after release because than, they develop than when a little was, bit more yeah there's a lot going on in those cans there's what we call a bio transformation and things like that mm. there's there's like flavor compounds that are still i know i'm so <laughs> making terrible. that a spelling word on my <laughs> students bio transformation it's like there, there are still, you know, oils and compounds that are like changing in that right. beer. And uh, I think personally, I like to let my, my hazy IPAs mellow out a little bit. So maybe like two, three weeks after uh, the release date when it, you know, a lot of people want to be drinking that beer, I think it might be better. So right. it's mm-hmm. something definitely uh, people should do more of, I think, is like taste at different portions of uh, right. different time periods after they've gotten the beer. To it's okay see. to try other beer. That's literally our mission in life is to just try as many of these beers. Of, and listen, you got a style, you got a style. Mm. But if you're ready to fear no beer, you mm. have to step out into the wilderness fear and try no and beer think is a great that's, line. Uh, line. And I've said this on the podcast before. That's going on a shirt. Yeah. And yeah, it's going should. on my shirt. And it's going to say tap that easy. Unless no I take beer. it to Twitter first. Right now. Oh, don't you dare. Don't <laughs> you dare. Yeah, just expanding the palette and Again, if you don't try them later on, it's not like you're going to know what your preference is going to be, and you don't know even necessarily what your options are. Again, people who work in bars, there can't be many more frustrating things to hear than that idea of, I really like Bud Light. Do you have anything that tastes like that? (laughs) All right. We we can start there, I suppose, but... Water is Let me introduce you to (laughs) some things that actually have taste, and then you can tell me which ones you like and which ones you don't. Yeah. But if you're going to just stick into that what's known, it's like the little kid who only eats mac and cheese, and that's the only food they'll ever eat. <laughs> like, you're, you're missing out on so many things that are actually better. Right. How do you know about my childhood? <laughs> I, I think that's not a totally unique childhood for you. <laughs> I, I don't mean to burst any bubbles here. Mac and cheese, blue. top ramen. 
dino shaped nuggets. The dino shaped nuggets. They do taste better. They taste so much better. Just so you know. <laughs> Made with real dino. That's why. <laughs> Tastes like real brachiosaur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on. So moving on, please. We're talking about storing beer properly. Correct. Um, obviously, we mentioned refrigerated storage is best all the mm-hmm. time. Temperature changes uh, aren't going to affect a beer that much. as long, Like setting a beer on the counter for an hour or two, then moving it in your fridge, and then moving it back out and moving it in. Like, right. I, I used to get a lot of people uh, at when I was working as a bartender who would think that that would totally ruin your beer. It's, it'll be fine. You shouldn't do it like a lot. But, mm-hmm. you know, a few temperature fluctuations, as long as you're not, like, cooking your beer, like, uh, right. like Boiling a lot of people or... in Arizona do when they ship their beer <laughs> across the country. <laughs> I used to, at Draft Magazine, I would get um, packages shipped to us from, like, other, other breweries, and I would pick up the bottles and literally, like, have to drop them because their bottles were so hot oh, from no. sitting in those FedEx oh, that's trucks. That's going to be an accurate oh, taste. No. Oh, yeah. It's, it's real good for the beer to oh, just be sitting in a FedEx so truck tragic. all day long at like 100 I can imagine degrees. you getting like, like a nice like barrel-aged something from like Southern Tier and then you're just like, I got to pitch it. Yeah. Like you get we, it. we had breweries who wouldn't even ship to us. Uh, almost like a lot really? of wineries do that too. Right. Um, definitely. I, I, I requested a lot of Hill Farmstead and Sean Hill was like, nah, I'm not going to ship to you. You're in Arizona. Like my, my beer is going to cook. <laughs> So Might I just never cool. got to taste any. Maybe just ship it, you know, in a couple of months when it's not so ungodly hot. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of breweries would do that. They had yeah. like, uh, you know, seasonal shipping dates where sure. they would send us stuff. <laughs> so definitely don't get your beer hot. Um, <laughs> keep it out of light. Um, out sun, of light. Sunlight tends to skunk beer. That nice uh, smell of weed mm-hmm. um, that you experience in like a Corona bottle so often. Right. Uh, because it's a clear bottle. Mm-hmm. And why does Corona, why wouldn't Corona change their bottle i think at this point uh it has become a an expected part of the flavor profile right. for people it would be a whole complete rebranding mm-hmm. of their lager yeah, yeah same thing with heineken yeah uh, i think a lot of people like that flavor as, yeah they as do I mean, they do seek Modelo that. Does, does the same thing too <laughs> i i hold the theory that every time an american drinks a corona light Somewhere in Mexico, somebody starts giggling. And they're not entirely <laughs> sure why. You paid to bring this from us. <laughs> well, like, well, for example, like Victoria beer. Victoria has brown bottles, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they do you know Mexican lagers, dark Mexican ales. But they've already, I think, they found the error in what Corona was experiencing, and that's why I think they stayed with their. I mean, I don't work for Victoria, obviously, but it just makes sense because I've never had a skunky Mexican beer from Victoria. Right. Mm. You know, or Negro Modelo, or I've never had, if I want a skunky kind of like feel and, you know, dash it with a bunch of lime, I'll go for a Corona Light. But yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah. And even like, so clear bottles are obviously the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, green bottles are a little bit better, but not so great. What, still, forty percent of yeah. light it blocks. Like yeah. I think 40%. it was twenty percent. I was looking at oh, was when it I was studying twenty percent. Oh, yeah, okay. and then brown Oops. bottles are better. They block they block like ninety five percent of the, of the mm-hmm. light. Right. But even like a brown bottle sitting on on the shelf, or even worse outside, is still going to get some ultraviolet light in there, and over right. time, it's going to skunk. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so yeah, keep your beer out of sunlight and out of ultraviolet light. If it's in your your fridge and it's you know stored, that light isn't going on an awful lot, then you should be okay. What about aging beers? Ooh, good yeah. question. Yeah. So uh, the same rules kind of apply. More, the warmer you get when you're aging beer, uh, the quicker your beer is going to age. So. If you are storing beer, especially in Arizona, we, our like room temperature is probably higher than a lot of room temperature. Yeah, it's about like somewhere else. That's fair. Like yeah. people's cellar temps here are in the 70s to 80s, whereas they should be in the 
60s? 50 to 60. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right around 55. Yeah, 55 is, is like the, yeah. the industry standard seller temperature. Uh, so that like that space under your stairs or in the back of your closet probably isn't the best <laughs> for your beer, especially if you are storing for like multiple years. Like if you're going to store like a single year, uh, then maybe be, that'll be all right. But those beers that you're holding on for like five years are not going to taste anything like they should. Especially, yeah, because of the temperature. Yeah. Now, let me ask, why would you age a beer? And what kind of beer would you recommend aging? I'm going to go with the second portion first. Okay, go uh, for it. So anything that's like high alcohol, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, has a lot of flavor. So anything like uh, super strong imperial stouts, uh, barley wines, any strong ales, um, Sours tend to do really well. Mm-hmm. Anything that has been uh, bottle conditioned will be super mm-hmm. interesting to to store because you have some live yeast that are still going through and eating those sugars and developing more flavors. So a lot of like Belgian beers do really well in aging. Uh, but beers that are made to be uh, enjoyed fresh, like IPA, uh, hop flavor is one of the first things that dies off after a few weeks. So you don't want to be storing your your hazy IPAs sure. for you know a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to go home real fast. I got a couple. <laughs> <of that. laughs> I'll be right back. I need to throw those bad boys in. Uh, in my cellar, I have a lot of barrel aged stuff. Um, things that I've tasted fresh and are uh, hot, basically that tastes like just pure alcohol. Um, over time, those flavors, the, the alcohol flavors, tend to die off a little bit, and the the malt flavors tend to mellow things out. So I like anything. My cellar is full of beers that I like didn't enjoy much when it was fresh. That I'm just hoping like. <laughs> Turns into something nice after a year or two. (laughs) Something to salvage it with. Yeah, basically. Like if I liked it when it was fresh, then I'm gonna drink it fresh. But if I didn't like it right away, if it tasted like you know burning alcohol, or it was way too sweet, like things that are super duper sweet. Right, because there's enough you know residual sugar Mm -hmm. for the bacteria to can continue to consume. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And malt flavor tends to really drop off after some time. So Mm -hmm. like super super malty, like rich syrupy beers really do well in the in the cellar. That's super cool. I, don't th- I think that's a topic that I don't think we've ever really touched up on. And a lot of these, you know, tips and tricks for those of you at home who are listening are really, really cool. So I guarantee you somebody's out there listening like, oh, I've got a lager in the back of my, you know, mm-hmm. fridge right now. Should I drink it now? Check the expiration date. Should you be putting that in your cellar and letting it chill out? Probably not. <laughs> right. Well, what I think is kind of interesting is there is like one exception because I know you said don't ever age IPAs. There's one exception. Oh, what's your exception, what you Alec? One twenty minute. Oh, Fair. damn it! He found it. And so what's funny is we were also talking about when to store it, what temperature to store it, and everything. And I actually did this once, and I aged it for one year, and I kept it at about seventy degrees, you know, about fifteen higher than what you normally should. But I wanted it to age faster. But it's this like crazy IPA that normally tastes like. Gas like sweet and hoppy gas, sweet and hoppy gasoline. People drink it, but you say that age they have. it, so yeah, they like it and then you age it, and it tastes. It's this beautiful barley wine mm-hmm. afterward, okay. where all the hops are died off, and you age it for even one year in just like seventy degree temperature, and it has acted like it's about three years or so at that point, and it's just beautiful barley wine. But that's like the one weird exception within IPAs. So Alec is talking about from Dogfish Head, their one twenty yes. minutes. Um, it is a typically a twelve ish. Or higher. Uh, it is 120 IBU and mm-hmm. 18%. 18%. Uh, sorry, 120-minute old used to be like 22%. Right. Then it went That's down to like 20 thinking. and now like 18 Because legally they couldn't sell it yeah. at that because it was too high in alcohol by volume or you also in ABV. All right, Zach, 
Do you have anything else left for yeah, us? Let's keep moving on. Let's yeah. talk about draft systems because those are so exciting. This is, this sounds really technical and boring for some of our uh, you know public consumers, but this is actually really valuable information. This is a very interesting tidbit that I remember learning, but I think everybody should know. Sure. Yeah. So when you go to a bar and you order a Beyond Draft, uh, that beer is usually being pushed from the keg to you with a, a mix of different gases, uh, usually 70% carbon dioxide and 30% nitrogen, although some breweries or, or bars tend to switch that up. Um, it is never pushed with air. So the one thing that I uh, like to inform to people, hopefully it's never pushed with air. Hopefully. Anyway. But you, everyone's been to a, a frat party or whatever where you pump that keg. Honestly, I never have. No? Not no. a single You've one? You've never no, pumped a keg? I never got invited. You Guys, know what? I'm not cool. Those kegs. You're sitting there pumping away. That's those. Uh, we call them those party pumps, and those are pushed with air. Once air hits that keg, it's not going to be good for any more than like 48 hours. Uh, if that. If that. Which, as anyone who's like been to a frat party the next weekend knows, Hoo-ah! if they're serving that same beer, it's not going to taste so good. All the stuff that's in the air floating around uh, automatically, once it hits that beer, makes it taste terrible. So if you're at a, a good bar, I've never been to a bar really that serves from a, a party pump like that. But hopefully. <laughs> Definitely never a second time. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. Right. I have once. But it was a small pony keg, and they did a really cool one-off, and it was just like, no, we need to get rid of this beer. Yeah, no, yeah. but yeah. But those beers, if you go to like a you know beer festival or something, maybe right, you right. see one of those. But uh, the, the main thing to know there is that that beer isn't going to be good after after a day or two right. of, of touching air. Um, I mean, as a certified beer server, talking about draft systems, you're going to need to know things like what a faucet is, mm. what a keg is, what a coupler is. Uh, a what? Yeah. A necktie, uh, proper, you know, gas settings, and yeah. Yeah. Yep. This is all stuff you can look up. We don't need to go in depth. No. We, we don't want to talk about PSI, but, like per per foot, how, how much we should increase know, that if we're do you how long taking long lines of maintaining so have, a fob detector? Because I can go <laughs> we can way go into, into that. that. So if I have no. an 18 and a half foot, you know, um, oh my God, wow, I just forgot the. 18 and a half foot draft lines? Yeah. Because, good Lord. <laughs> what should my PSI be? For an 18 and a half long... Let me do some calculations. Basically, the line that takes the from the keg to, yeah, to the actual keg to tap. Keg to faucet. How much pressure per square inch should there be? Nobody really needs to. I missed this question on Jeopardy. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to move on. <laughs> but like, so our as audience someone, is, so going to be totally when, thrilled about When you that. get like further into the Cicerone program, right. uh, there are questions about like the, like the master test has an entire section about like balancing draft systems. And mm-hmm. they give you scenarios like you're at a new bar. The uh, keg room is like 12 feet below sea level. <laughs> and you... What? Uh, no, it's like <laughs> legit... This is high school math. You you have like a 36 foot run. Someone bought 45 watermelons. (laughs) Yeah. It it asks you like what your system uh, should be balanced or pressured at to to maintain balance in that system. And you have to do all these calculations about like friction and and force and gravity. So it's not just about drinking beer, it's about literally all aspects. All the aspects. And I think that's something that maybe our audience just didn't know about. And so now they do. And Mm -hmm. so that's amazing. Like, great synopsis of it. If you are still interested in getting into the certified Cicerone program, these are the things that you may need to know about on, you know, the study guide. Because, I mean, I know Zach and I have taken this. What level are you, by the way? I'm an advanced Cicerone. So oh. the third level. Right Listen, now. this is, that's, that is professional development at its best. Like, this means that this guy does not mess around. That means that he's taken the time to study, to taste, to 
understand that this isn't just like going to the bar and getting a pint. This is a craft. This is a process. This is a career that we've built upon ourselves and that we have like the support from the Cicerone program um, and learning all these things. And then we get to actually just share them with the public. And even though the public may not be like really into it or may not like find this, you know, so detrimental. But for us, when we have a passion about it and we show that we have a passion about it, I think other people get really excited about it too. Because how many times have you gone to a bar and your bartender just like, blah, here's a beer. But how many times have you gone to a bar where you actually have a conversation with your bartender or your beer tender and they will break down like, what do you like? What's in your palate? What was the last thing that you ate? What can I give you that's going to complement to this? What's your favorite thing? What's like, do you want to try something new? And it's like, it's really important for us to know not just like our product, but to know how we got mm-hmm. to that end mm-hmm. point. So. That level of understanding is definitely what separates like a, a person who is just there for a job, basically to make right. tips on serving beer versus like a, a bartender, which right. is like a person uh-huh. who interacts with you and guides you to the, the correct choice. It's a journey. Right. Yeah. My it's hope is that someday when when we can, as professional beer tenders, is not be called professional beer tenders, but for all of us who are really passionate about this and have taken the extra step and taken the time and money and studied on our days off, on our nights off, for us not to be called bartenders, but us to be called Cicerones. Yep. Instead, we change that nomenclature to Cicerone. Not Cicerone certified, but yes, I am a certified Cicerone. Let me help you pick out a great beer. Mm-hmm. I want you to enjoy what's in your glass. Yeah. So then from the perspective, though, of someone who's going into a bar and ordering a beer that I haven't had before... If there's, what are some of the things that I'm going to notice if there's something wrong in that process, though? Like, so that I'm not blaming the beer. Sure. Because I don't want to do that. Like, if I'm trying a beer for the first time and I think this is, there's just something wrong with it, I don't want to assume that it's because it's a poor beer. It might be something in the line. It might be they didn't store it correctly. What are going to be some of those clues for the beer drinker? The number one thing that I notice when I go out to bars is dirty glassware. Mm. Um, and that's, Lipstick mm-hmm. on the glass is so gross. All done. All done. No. Nope. You can take this one back. Don't bring me a replacement. I'm just going to go. <laughs> Please just don't pour it in another. <laughs> and it takes two seconds before I'm you just... pour a beer. You go. You, you bring it up to oh, the yeah. light. Oh, every time. It's clean. Yeah. Yep. That's all it takes. And there's there's easy ways to tell like if a if a glass is clean or dirty. Obviously, lipstick is going to stick out uh, a lot, but. Right. I see all the time, like breweries and bars posting pictures of glasses. Like, come, come get this new beer, and the glass has like all kinds of bubbles on the side of it. Mm. It's the worst. It's, like the bubbles on the side are uh, signs of dirt. Like bubbles mm. don't cling to glass or don't cling to the sides of a glass unless there is dirt there. It's called a nucleation. As everybody looks point. at their beers Every, that I serve all, them, all of us just you will notice it up happy glass. all the glasses are clean, <laughs> meticulously cleaned by mm-hmm. by Alec. Um, yeah, so that's. That's the number one thing that you can easily notice uh, if you go to a bar. If you get a glass that has a bunch of bubbles on the side of it, that means that glass was not cleaned properly. There's dirt sticking. Uh, those bubbles are sticking to dirt on the inside of that glass, and you can definitely request a new one. Yeah. Lipstick on the side of the glass is an obvious one. <laughs> yeah. Um, if the head on a beer doesn't last very long, a uh, good chance that there is some, like if it just fizzles away automatically or if there's big kind of like soapy bubbles, there's a good chance that there is some residual like soap inside the glass. Right. So, and I've tasted that too, yeah. which yeah. sucks. Good news is your bar is trying to clean the glass. <laughs> Bad news is like they didn't make it all the way through the, the <laughs> process. <laughs> rinsing is still part of cleaning. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good, a sign of a good bar is if they rinse your glass beforehand, uh, those little, um, you know, the bartender yes. turns the water shoots. Yeah, yep. The bartender mm-hmm. turns the glass upside down, pushes down on the, uh, little 
situation uh, on the tap. It's hard to find a beer or a brewery or a bar, sorry, that doesn't have that anymore. Yeah, it's that was become definitely pretty industry standard. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, which is a good thing. That right. It helps clean yeah. out anything that's in that glass. It helps make it so that you're creating a nice, foamy, rocky head on top of the beer. That just shows that you're not just going to a bar just to get a pint. You're going to a bar that knows their beer. Yep. yep. So then in this, would you want to talk about, like, the actual size of head on, on, on different beers? Because if we're talking to average listeners, a lot of people don't actually know how big your head should be. A lot of them want it slow poured the entire time with no head. Yeah. I mean, definitely as part, I'm sure correct, you've but. dealt with a lot of people, like, asking you to pour a beer. Yeah. To the brim. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and I had one once, actually. Um, I was pouring a Belgian beer, which, you know, should have about an inch and a half of head when you pour it. And so I, I poured the beer, and the guy's like, uh, I'm going to pour that next time. And I'm like, y- you can do that, but here's maybe why I'm actually kind of on the right side in this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, flex or anything, but, like, you know, one, it's good for flexing, it's good go. for the scent. You know, you can mm-hmm. actually smell the beer better when you have that, and it disturbs the carbonation so it doesn't happen in your belly. Yep. And all these different beers are supposed to have that yeah they're built for this like we're talking about in the cicerone uh study guide you get into things like glassware too Mm -hmm. and part of the reason that uh like a belgian tulip glass is shaped the way it is or a hefeweizen glass shaped the way it is Mm -hmm. is because they're built for these big rocky heads that release all those nice uh yeast aromas Mm -hmm. so if you're just pouring stuff into a pint glass you're pulling it up right to the brim you're not getting half the experience you should basically right aroma is flavor and flavor is Mm -hmm. you know all what we're all about here Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cool. What else do you have for us, Zach? Uh, let's see what else is on this little study guide. <laughs> um, temperature. Temperature. So beer, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Right. Um, serving temperature as mm-hmm. opposed to like cellaring temperature or storing temperature. Um, every style is a little bit different. Um, a lot of, I don't know if anyone else, anyone else has been to a bar where they like almost, uh, I think one of the bars around here advertises like how cold their glasses is how cold their beer is when it comes out of the tap they have like an actual temperature gauge that says like 29 degrees in the cellar right now are you kidding me no 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 no. yeah Um, that makes my heart sad that makes my liver hurt I wish you all could see the facial expressions that were happening as Zach said that Because there's just no way to communicate it over the podcast. How like personally <laughs> How offended? It looks like we all just saw a car crash. You can crash. almost hear it in our voices, but oh, we're all just like, just, oh, it's like cringy. Yeah, like, like it just ugh. that. The, the thing about hurt. cold beer, super cold beer, is that uh, low temperatures tend to kill flavor. So the the colder your beer is, the less you're going to be able to taste anything. And which is, you know, fine if you are drinking like an American light lager. Maybe you want to have those as close to freezing as possible because you're already trying not to taste much. Right. But for, you know, IPA, uh, a porter, a stout, things like that, like you want a little bit of temperature uh, to really help those hop and malt flavors open up because the the colder that beer is, the the less you're going to taste it. So if you go to a bar that uh, advertises that their taps are, you know, running at, at 29 degrees or whatever. Uh, maybe don't order an IPA, or expect much out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, or run to the hill. And yeah. Just go ahead and turn <laughs> or, or around just, and walk yeah, out just the door. Turn out and uh, try again. Yep. Um, frosted glassware is another. Oh my no lord! No. Can we stop. can we pause for a second on glassware? Frosted glassware. I is was this in, Helton part two? Oh, this is getting in there. It's fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. off on this. It was great. Oh, Lord. So I'm in South Carolina. I'm in Myrtle Beach this summer. And my girlfriend and I are just like walking around. And we see that there's this really cute little wine bar. And they are doing flights for $10. I'm like, let's go grab a couple glasses of wine. Like, why not? So we pop in there. And then I notice that they have 
local craft beer as well. And I am floored because South Carolina really isn't known for their craft beer scene, but I'm always an opportunist. Like, I always have to go check out, like, what they have. And so, of course, after our wine flight, I'm like, hey, can you tell me a few things about your craft beer? Like, what you guys have? Is it local? And I'm just super, super excited about all this. And as he's kind of, like, getting into this conversation, another gentleman to my left, who is also at the bar, says, I could go for a cold IPA. And the guy, the bartender, then says, I've got the coldest glasses in the state. What would you like? I'll pour anything in them. And I just dropped. Like, I could have fallen out of my bar stool and cried. And, like, I didn't say anything to the bartender. But, but your he, tears spoke volumes. you <laughs> could tell that I was bummed so bummed he looked at me and he's just like is everything okay i'm like everything's great man you do you thank you so much for the wine the wine was awesome you're awesome dude dude have a great summer bye and i failed (laughs) because i couldn't bring it to myself to tell him because how awkward would it be for somebody to come into your job and tell you that you're doing your job not as accurately as you should be so i had to bite my tongue but people in south carolina if you're listening Please don't put your beer in a frosted glass. (laughs) Please don't make Liz cry. Please. Because it was just just kind of like you're losing so much flavor Mm -hmm. when you put a solid. Like if if an IPA is brewed with a very conscious knowledge of what kind of yeast, what kind of hops, if they're doing it a wet hop, if they're doing it a dry hop, there's there's passion and love behind that beer. And for people to, it is an art, absolutely. So for people then to kind of dismay that and just throw it in a, you know, cold pint glass, maybe it's, maybe there's a slight hint of being naive, you know, and I get it. Because it's 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 our passion. This is what we do. This is our chemistry. This is our this is our science experiment. This is like the fruit of our labor. And when we see that somebody is not treating it the way that it should be, I mean, the people that know will probably say something. I, I won't right. lie. We're all we it are we, all the time. We are the craft beer nerds <laughs> that we will say shit. So so if so. your beer doesn't end in light or ultra as part of its name, you probably don't really want it in a frosted glass. And that's excellent. Good rule of thumb. But that is peop- a very good rule. Of <laughs> but people are coming off the beach. It's hot that day. Mm-hmm. They they want something cold. They want something refreshing. And and I get it. I get it. Does that not hurt your teeth though? Or do I just need to go to a dentist? Sometimes you know. Sometimes, sorry, Dad. Uh, sorry, Dad. Don't listen. Could to be this. both. I have been to. Where was I? I think I was at Cold Beard and Cheeseburgers. One of those, and they gave me the nice. And I ordered a lager, and I wanted a frosted glass, and it tasted delicious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm not hating on the frosted glasses, no, but you just have to remember, don't throw like an IPA or a stout or, I mean, I guess stout. you could get away with yeah. an amber, but still you'd lose a lot of stuff in there. I don't think so. But, I mean, maybe like a gingling amber. Okay. Oh, straight up. I could do that. Totally, right? Yeah. I'm all about yingling. I am. I, I think there needs to be more of a push for yingling to be. I went to school in Ohio for a few years here. and like I desperately miss Yingling as a cheap beer option. Every year, I go and visit my family. My dad retired in South Carolina. Never had it. He makes sure that there is a 24 pack of Yingling in the fridge. I've never had it. Never once. I've heard so much. I drank from a Yingling glass. I've never had one. Every time a guy went to Pennsylvania, he had to come back with at least three cases of Yingling. Oh, yeah. Or he was not welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, you turn around. My parents come back and you got your car properly loaded. Oh, man. Yeah, we can do a whole podcast on how <laughs> the West Coast needs Yingling and how Yingling needs the East, the, needs the West Coast. Oh, absolutely. So it's a love story? 
It's like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. Oh, You've got beer. It's going to be a tragedy, but it's going to be an epic story. Oh, no. <laughs> Eat, pray, drink, yingling. That's a not. That's not a bad name for a beer, actually. I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, that's I'm kind of okay. Eat, pray, drink. Zach, what else do you have in your lovely book of notes over there? Uh, another um, sign of a beer bar that maybe isn't up to the standards it should be is bartenders who are uh, pouring the beer and letting the uh, liquid come all the way up to the rim and get inside that faucet. Oh. That's huge health, 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 Ugh. health hazard. Right. People don't think it because it's like a one way, you know, flow, but that stuff is sitting there. So like as a bartender, you're opening up your bar and you take your sanitary plugs out, right? And you take them out. I don't know. For me, I take them out maybe 30 minutes before I open. Right. And those sanitary plugs are these little plugs that go into the faucet and they typically have a kind of like a cascading, uh, little, um, I guess plastic brush bristles in there. So when you're putting them in there, they're disinfecting the actual faucet, right? Well, some bartenders will, I don't know if it's lazy or if they're just trying to like, if they're distracted or something, but when you'll see a bartender pouring a beer, they should be pouring it with the glass at a certain angle. And I won't get into that later because we're going to talk about that. And they're pouring it at a certain angle, but the faucet should never be touching the glass or the actual beer. So if you're out there and you're watching your bartender, don't like, you know, just be like, hey, don't do that. Just just be cognizant of that um, because other um, things when you saturate that faucet can grow friends. Yeah. Yeah. Right? All the, like there's a lot of stuff in beer that bacteria and bugs like to eat. So if right. that stuff is on the outside of the faucet and it uh, you leave it for a little while, those bacteria and bugs start to grow. And then you put the next beer on there and all those bacteria and bugs are now in that beer. You just, right. And that happens as a, you know, it cascades over time. And especially if a bar isn't cleaning their draft lines on a regular basis, uh, you can get some pretty nasty stuff growing in right. there. I've definitely seen, uh, I've been to bars like where we had to go and, and help clean out the faucets where you, you, I've pulled out like two inch long, like sections of fungus basically no. that have, like started growing inside faucets. It's no. horrendous. The like, and this doesn't take long to grow. Like if people aren't, uh, yeah. aren't cleaning their tap lines on a regular basis, like every every two weeks or so, like those things can grow Ew. after uh, just a few weeks. Yeah, it's it's gnarly some of the stuff that can grow in there. So Brandon's not on mic, but he just had a terrifying aha moment because it wasn't maybe a month or two ago, somewhere in that range. We were talking on our podcast, and he had had a beer. While he was talking with someone who was heavily involved at one of the breweries. And afterwards, like the next two days, he was just sick. And he was asking me if it's possible to get food poisoning from beer. I'm like, not if things are done right. It shouldn't be. Or even close to right. Yeah. Even like slight errors on that stuff will not get you sick. You've got to be real dirty. But Brandon grosses out easy. And so right now, as he's sitting over there hearing this stuff and (laughs) wondering about what actually happened to him, it's quite possible. (laughs) Two inch long. God. Oh, yeah. Zach, that, that, I mean, that about us? that about wraps it up for That's the keeping it. and serving beer section. Let's oh just finish on slugs of yeast and Did bacteria. That's yeah, real, let's, it's a real fun topic. Oh my to god, just no, wrap please! Up on. I, I'm thoroughly finished on that. No, yeah, let's. Uh, Hang um, on, can we just stop and just get that thirsty? little imaginary uh, <laughs> slugs of yeast? <laughs> I'm gonna call that my next beer, slugs of yeast. Cool. <laughs> Put me down for no orders. Oh, my word. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights, Zach. This was really fascinating. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, folks, stay tuned for our part three of the Cicerone Sissified podcast.
podcast. So prior to me hitting the record button, uh, we were talking about some of our favorite beer tenders. Um, Alec is his own favorite beer tender, and he's here at King's. (laughs) I love myself, (laughs) y'all. There is no better love than self-love. So ladies and gentlemen, this is the third installment of our Cicerone Sissified podcast. As you can clearly tell, we are definitely wrapping this one up, guys. We're going to finish strong. We're going to finish strong. Or at least finish. So I have Alec. Alec is here. uh, Just a little quick recap. We had Zach from Four Peaks go ahead and give us a really, really cool update on on the three-tier system on serving and storing your beer and uh, maintaining what alcohol uh, percentages you should be looking out for. Thank you again so much, Zach. Um, So leading into our third post about what, Alec? We're going to be covering beer styles. And uh, what's funny is when I was first sent this, like, the study guide over here, I, I didn't quite look at it until last night. And I was like, yeah, we're going to be talking about flavors of beer. And that's about it. And I looked at it. I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's what this section is about. It's actually a lot about the history behind beer and how it came to be and how we got to these certain cultural um, fads that we have going on within the beer culture now and sort of how everything kind of grew to be what it is now. Um, and then some of that is also like the qualitative and quantitative um, sides to beer you know the actual studying what is it what am i tasting what is in my glass what am i looking at what am i smelling what am i putting in my mouth for lack of a better phrase excuse me (laughs) and uh (laughs) thank you so (laughs) i guess to uh kind of get started let's get into like the the basic history of kind of how beer got to be i mean we all I'm, i'm assuming most of our listeners most of your listeners are in the u.s that's an excellent question that's a good question for me to bring up to Alex, because, I mean, or Alex, uh, you're Alec. Hi. There's no Alex. Uh, mm-hmm. Eric. That's my brain trying to put two things together. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Too. I would hope that we do have international listeners. Yeah. I think that'd be, that'd be really cool. Yes, yeah. we do talk about, you know, craft beer here locally in Arizona, but I would not be, um, I would not be disappointed if we had some, you fantastic. know, international. Exactly. We welcome all at this podcast. Yeah. We, we love and welcome all. So, yeah, go ahead and so, dive into it. Yeah, so I kind of want to talk about how we got it into America now, in a way. So, back in about 10,000 BC, with uh, like the early Mesopotamian cultures, is when beer kind of first started. They were taking, you know, barley and water and some yeast thrown into like a big old clay pot and just letting it kind of sit. Um, and over years, you know, that kind of changed and they actually got recipes. And back in the day, they were actually using a lot of like pomegranates and. Um, dates and other sort of interesting fruits like that. Are those fruits technically? I think so, yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Seeded beans. <laughs> Close enough um, for government work. Yeah. Don't don't fact check me, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I have my phone out right now. I'm fact checking you right now. Oh, fantastic. Just kidding. I'm on Snapchat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and so then we move up to about... 5000 BC and that's when the Egyptians started using it and that's actually when um, I was doing some research and apparently uh, beer was the first recorded recipe in human history and that was actually recorded by the Egyptians around 5000 BC or so according to the sites that I saw and we'll see if that's correct (laughs) later because I'm getting some looks Um, and, you know, again, it was very, very simple things. They were typically much lower in alcohol. A lot of it actually had to do with cleaning the water. Um, and for journeys, and this is actually where it comes into play when we talk about England and England, you know, pushing beer out to different parts of the world, 
is it really comes down to like the cleanliness of everything is one you have to boil it and back and then it was during the dark ages when people are getting cholera and everything and um which i've heard is pretty bad <laughs> which not recommended heard. not recommended. Doc, doctors say it was worth avoiding um and so what basically happened is and i'm actually going to get into a very specific style that kind of rules the industry right now but you know, we move up into like this English area and or in, in, into Europe, and you know Scotland was doing a bunch, Ireland was doing a bunch, um, uh, even Russia a little bit. And uh, anyway, um, disease was going around. Let me get back on track. Disease was going around real bad, and people realized. I believe it was Saint Arnaldus. Um, someone correct me if I'm incorrect. That went around kind of telling everyone, "Hey, you know, water's getting you sick. You need to drink beer." As the resident Catholic will confirm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, St. Arnaldus. Um, there you go. So Further win. What ended up happening, too, is apparently hops are part of um, like preservation. It actually makes things last much longer. And so now we're moving into this area of time when um, England is basically trying to go to all these different parts Conquering of the world. The world. Yeah, yeah, and so they're out in Burma. They're out in India. And that's actually how we get the, in- the India Pale Ale is... Um, they wanted these things to last longer when they were shipping it out to all these different, you know, far reaches of the world. And they realized that hops were a way to keep it fresh and to keep it good as they went on. And so um, that's kind of where we got the India Pale Ale because it initially was like an English pale or you know, an English pale or um, I forget, they had different phrases for them back then. It was like a small beer was something that it was called. And then there was uh, like the regular like table beer, which was slightly higher. Um, and then there was like their strong ales. And so they basically took, you know, the, the table beer and hopped the living hell out of it and brought it over to India and Burma on, on ships. Um, but what I found really interesting is when the pilgrims first came to America, um, mind you, they weren't drinking water on the ship. They were drinking beer. And the reason the Mayflower settled on Plymouth Rock was because they ran out of beer and needed to shore up so they could make some more. That's awesome. But that makes a lot of sense. And then same with like the plague going on Mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom. Same thing, right? Like the only people that were surviving the plague were the people that were going to the bars and people can figure out why. Mm -hmm. It's because there was a lot of royalty that was living through it too because they had they had wine, they had had ales. Exactly. And that's why a lot of the poor community was dying out because they couldn't afford it. And it's such a fascinating topic. Like how did we get from how do we get here? Because of death like how does yeah. that, and, and drink diseases. beer and live yeah exactly and there's a documentary and i think you guys may have seen it it's called how beer saved the world i think i believe it's on netflix unless they haven't gotten rid of it but it's a fast i mean exactly what you're talking about right Put there that in my queue immediately exactly but yeah so i thought that was really interesting that like yeah. america's foundation was based in beer what was really interesting too is you know obviously once they did land they had to start building structures and you know building houses you know shelter for them and mm-hmm. and then eventually some permanent structures and funny enough America's built by pilgrims America's first permanent structure was a brewery. Start with the important so, stuff. Right? Appropriate priorities, priorities exactly. Uh, we can all sleep on the ground but we can't all drink and anywhere we want you know. Um, not in this foreign <laughs> land where we don't know what's safe. Come on. Yeah. Right. Got to boil. And they can't naturally, I mean, they. I remember they weren't really, a, they were keen to the Native Americans that were living there, but at the same time they were at war. I mean, right. the pilgrims mm-hmm. didn't survive here on their own. They yeah. survived because of the Native American influence. And that's. Mm-hmm. Respect. Very interesting. It's fun. So I wonder like if there was a Native American ingredient that turned, that the Americans used to brew beer that they weren't normally 
used to. I I feel like we could pull up an ingredient or two. I mean, I would know? imagine like corn had to been something that was new coming Probably. to the right. Americas. So right. potentially, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. That's for that someone much sense. smarter yeah. than me to know. Yeah. No, someone like. else out there, go ahead, do some <laughs> research and let us know. We did have an advanced Cicerone. <laughs> uh huh. You want me to? Jump no. in. <laughs> Listen, side note, Zach is... Zach, go ahead and tell me a little bit what you were telling me up at the bar, what you're studying for, what you currently are in the Cicerone pro- program. Uh, so I am the third level, the advanced uh, Cicerone, and I'm currently studying to breach the final level, which is master. Hot uh, damn. Yeah. So there are currently 18 uh, total of them in the world and hoping to be number 19 or, or 20. It's uh, insane. I thought it was insane. It's insane. October. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Dude, I'm, if you need any help or support or you want to do like a study guide or like a group study, I don't care. I will help you. I want to make sure that you are achieving this dream because this is... Take all the uh, help I can get. Seriously. I, I, seriously, if we need to do like an off-flavors class or whatever, dude, I'm down. I will just keep a beer randomly in my like storage closet and let it just kind of skunkify and see if you can figure out what kind of beer it is and how I've, long it's been aging. For the last few, few weeks, I've been the most like high-maintenance... Uh, customer at bars like i go to a, I, I go up to a bar and i'm like all right uh you're gonna just have to deal with this for a minute and i asked the bartender like pour me a flight <laughs> pour me a flight do not tell me what's in it uh just like write it down and give me like you know four different beers of different styles or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah i'm that like nerd who's like trying to, so i'm tasting awesome. each one like trying to determine what what i'm tasting and trying to figure out like what's what specific beer it is and i've yeah i'm Bartenders don't like me right now. <laughs> so that's actually a fun thing that we do here at Kings. Yeah. Is uh, for every one that you get correct, mind you, we pick it for you. Every one that you get correct, you get $1 off your flight. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. God. That's dope. I think that's what Sounds we need like to do after to this. After our podcast, guys, we're going to wrap this up. All of us are going to go up to the bar. We're going to get a random flight and see how close we can get. Like it's it. unfair because I've had everything well, on that Well, you're board. not in it. You get okay. to pour it Damn. and look at us and be pretty. <laughs> You get to look at us and be pretty and say nice things and say if we're right or say we're wrong. <laughs> Tell me how wrong I am, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome though. So seriously, like guys, like applause for Zach, seriously, man. No. This is not an easy thing. This isn't just like drinking beer and then taking a test. This is like drinking beer, taking a test, and doing like eight thousand other things on top mm. of like having your own like life and job and everything. Like this is this is getting your doctorate. In yes. in beer, yeah. this is this is getting your PhD in beer, and that's awesome. Like P-H-B-E-E-R. how Oh, stop! Sorry, I got a lot good. of shaking heads on that. Putting that on my card. That's good. P dot H dot beer. P But that brings me like a really good segue. So so I mean, moving forward from where we were in you know plague times and how beer saved the world and how how the pilgrims had to you know use it as a staple. What else? So let's move up into like the 1800 period, like early 1800s. Um, Mind you, English style beers because that's most of what we were drinking, except for like that IPA, which was super hop, just to get us over here. Basically, people were mostly drinking English style beers, which for y'all at home. Uh, are basically malt based. You know, you get like a lot of sort of caramel flavors kind of coming through on that. There, it's kind of the like a malt style ale, but not quite as dark as a porter or stout or anything like that. It's 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 much more lighter in body. So if you've ever had like an English mild, like Zach was actually drinking earlier from Twelve West, that's a classic, you know, seventeen hundred, sixteen hundreds style English ale. Um, and so that actually brought us into darker style beers. That's where sort of porters and stouts kind of got originated. Was back in 
um, like late 1700s or part of 1700s into the 1800s. But during that time, we also had a lot of people coming over from the, from the Czech Republic and other parts of, of Europe, and those people brought um, a craving for pilsners and lagers and light, crispy-style beers. And so at that point, we started drinking, you know, a little bit more of that and uh, adding more hops to them and, you know, focusing more on these different sort of American-style pale ales at that point. And then we roll around to 1920, y'all. This is a really I fun period. <laughs> yeah. This is a really fun period I where... I myself short before I made a Pearl Harbor reference on that, but... <laughs> it was the equivalent I of Pearl Harbor on the beer industry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really, in the actually, industry. significantly worse too. It's, well, For, in terms of its impact people on the beer died industry, at Pearl Harbor. No, no, in terms of its impact <laughs> on the beer industry, that comparison Fair. specifically. Yeah. Um, because as many breweries and things as are popping up now, we're still way short of what it was prior yeah. to the prohibition. Well, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were talking earlier, and here we mm. are, almost a hundred years later, and we still haven't gotten back to where we were Mm-mm. pre-prohibition. What's funny is it almost feels like we're starting the bubble's starting to pop in a way too. Thanks, Seltzer Water. Um, <laughs> another That's a thing whole another podcast yeah, episode. <laughs> oh my lord! We'll get into that one later. Um, so prohibition happened, and prohibition in what thirty three nineteen thirty three is when prohibition ended, and at that point we're also you know around Great Depression time, and at that point people lost brand recognition. People lost all sorts of things but the one thing that they could kind of come back to was these light beers that they were drinking like right before prohibition and kind of leading up to that so what ended up happening is it was great depression people didn't have anything in their pockets nothing was in the wallets right now uh, at that point and so brewers there were two in particular um that kind of rose to the occasion it was schlitz and it was budweiser and they both started making super cheap corn-based um, loggers for people to enjoy that people could afford back at the time. Right. And now we're at this age where, you know, Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser owns... Everything. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's it's an empire at this point. And yeah. It's fantastic to see what they've done since the 1920s. You know, we're 100 years later, and they're dominant in this industry, and it's incredible. And they're buying out other breweries and helping, you know, smaller local breweries like Four Peaks to, like, start distroing and get all this aluminum and get all these different resources to really push out some great products. It's fantastic. Um, But what's interesting about that is like the consumer appeal of that. I mean, even still in this day, you know, some of us are bartenders or we've all gone into a bar and heard someone say, Hey, uh, I know it's a craft place, but uh, what you got like Bud Light? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Puddle House's uh, GABF silver winning light lager is Fun. The go-to Not that I say to them. I, honestly, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the Pilsner. BRI came out with the Pilsner too. That's solid. Yeah. That's solid. But yeah, anytime anybody is asking, I'm like, I mean, then say 48's loggers are you just killing it. You know, you know what I call the Petal Hus uh, light lager? I call it the gateway drug to craft beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it really, really is. nice. Well, right? That's, that's what I've been. Shout out on. to Doc right there. Doc is incredible. <laughs> right. Yeah, I rant and rave about Doc who, over who here d- at the bar. Someone's anybody like, dare say like, let a, me tell you. <laughs> anybody dare say a negative thing about Doc? This guy is probably the most humble man in Arizona craft brewing. He's smart. He gets it. He knows it. He uses it. And the medals win. Mm-hmm. The medals show. Yeah. Right? The probably, proof is in the pudding. He's probably one of the most decorated brewers on the entire West Coast. And he's just so chill about it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, I mean, I want to have a beer with him like, and just sit 
at the beer, at the bar, have a beer, and, and just he, talk beer. And he won the medals for the hardest styles to brew. Oh, uh, exactly. It's not easy to brew <laughs> no. something that tastes like pretty vague. Yeah. Like it's a vague, it's a vague category. But he won silver. Like how? Um, I mean, how many other entries did you think? Did he have like In the something? American Light Lager category? I mean, yeah. you're, you're beating out all of the mega brewers. Oh definitely. my god, every single one. I know, and people don't know that GABF is not it's just for craft brewing. Too. It's for every. It's the Great American Beer Festival. Mm-hmm. It's not the Great American Craft Beer Festival. It's the Great American Beer Festival. So you have AB, you have Heineken, you have Double USA. You have all these no, people coming in giving entries, and for him to win silver in 2018 was, or was it 17? 17, 17, 17 or 18. Um, regardless, I mean, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of Pedal House. Guys I'm incredible. so proud of, of, of them. So, yeah. Sorry. But mini so, shout out. But so going talking, back to what you were saying. But talking about styles. So when you're talking about the styles that are the hardest to brew, what makes them, what makes certain <laughs> styles so much more difficult than some so, of the others? <laughs> actually a funny question. Uh, so when I first got started in the beer industry, I started working for Barrio Brewing Company and I was working under Dennis Arnold. Um, and... He had said that at one point that blondes, he was talking blonde specific, which I'll put in the same sort of category. Um, he's like, it's one of the harder beers to brew. And I was like, why is that? He's like, it's like walking into a, a, a party naked. <laughs> wow. That's a great He said, energy. everyone can see your flaws. Everyone can see every part of you. Okay. He's like, when you're making a stout, it's like walking into a party with a trench coat. Huh. You can hide a lot more in the beer. You can make more right. mistakes when you're talking about a clean, light lager or a hell's lager you have no room for mistakes because it will you can see it across the room that makes sense the standards sense. are so tight yes. it's, it's the standards that are really tight that you can't really deviate from no yeah. that, that's a great analogy Which i is, mean with stouts you can literally throw in the kitchen sink and you're yeah. solid i mean i was actually listening to your real bob and woody one and how they just were at the last moment like hey let's throw in cinnamon why not right from mother bunch <laughs> yeah yeah and it's yeah. like you can do that you can just be like eh, here it goes eh. Here it goes where when you're making a lager, it's like, okay, what's my time? What's my temperature? You know, how quickly right. am I cooling this down? Mm-hmm. How quickly am I moving this? You know, it's it's extremely precise and you have to be extremely careful with everything. And I mean, I was bringing IPL with Oso yeah. and and when I was brewing with, with Josh Goldstein, mm-hmm. he's like, I mean, we were literally in the middle of the conversation and he looks at his watch. He's like, be right back. Mm-hmm. And like just bails, and I'm just like, oh, 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 shit! That's right, we're brewing yeah. a lager. Like we have to like be cognizant of it. Like yeah. brewing, brewing an IPA is going to be a completely different process than what you would do for a lager. Yeah. And it was just like on the minute. And I remember Absolutely. Eric asking. Eric was asking. He's like, "Do you have to be like on the minute, on the dot, on the yeah. second? And he's like, "Yeah, pretty much with yeah. a lager. And your temperature has to be perfect. It has like to be everything. solid. Yeah. Which is why it's kind of hard to make loggers in Arizona. Yeah. It's a little it's hot out here. Yeah. We need that stuff real cold. And the <laughs> other thing too is if you know you see kind of like the tanks and if you've ever been in a brewery you know you see these big giant like tanks of holding you know whatever is in there. Um, but the thing with the loggering is that you have to have a certain system. Mm-hmm. You can't just like just brew it in one big batch and then just like let it sit. You have to move it and temper it and and it's a whole you have to actually if your if your brewery is really dedicated into making loggers or even pilsners at that um they're going to be spending the extra money to make that that brew specifically um there's a bunch of different equipment that could be utilized but none that could really replicate what a loggering system can actually produce yeah so do you think there's a lack of appreciation on the consumer side for like how tough that stuff actually is to do. I think so. Yes. I think there's definitely like a margin of people that are just like, oh, it's a lager. Well, mm. just because it's easy drinking doesn't mean that it's easily brewed. Not at all. I mean, even AB InBev. I've seen the Budweiser commercials where they 
they perpetuate, you know, yes, we, we brew our beer by batch. Um, and I get it. Like, Anheuser-Busch and, like, Coors, you know, definitely took time to perfect their craft. Mm-hmm. And because it was so mass-produced and easily drinkable, low ABV, um, clear, crisp, refreshing, you know, that was like our whole advertising scheme, they, they perpetuated it as, like, the easy-drinking beer. And by all means, it absolutely is. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's not just kind of like you just throw some stuff in and you, you know, magically come up with this beer. But the thing is that is Wait, that is was that so mass I know, right? Is it not? No, not really. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> Guys, I'm on the wrong podcast. So the thing, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. So the thing is that since it was so mass produced that it was so easily accepted to people mm-hmm. as a beer that now these people are they're coming into craft beers or they're coming into a brewery. They're like, oh, well, it was so easy for them to do it. Why isn't it so easy for you to do it? And that's not the situation. Right. And I think that's the thing that we need to kind of like help people understand. It's like, no, we, we, we put our heart and soul into this beer and there's like a process to this. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. I'm glad that it's like easy drinking for you and that you enjoy it. But, but it is hard. So when people are like coming into your tap room or your brewery and they're demanding like a lager, you kind of have to be like, well, how about trying like this amber ale that we did? Or how about this IPL or, you know, something, some other style? I love pushing but Kolsch is at that point. Kolsch is an amazing substitute for people that are just Fantastic. trying to like stay in the light beer category, yeah. but are willing to explore. So you have Kolsch's, you have Pilsner's, you have your lagers, and then, then you'll get into even lighter stuff. And if you like feel like you want to, you know, try it out, like expand it. Well, There's my- nothing... One of my favorite things to expand off of that is, is a lot of these people are like, oh, you know, I like these German style beers. You know, I love lagers, pilsners. You know, I love my Oktoberfest, whatever. And I'm like, well, how do you like sweet things? How do you like this? And so what I actually typically do, we were actually, Zach and I were talking about this earlier. Or was it you and I that were talking about it? Maybe it was you and me, Liz. Sure. Um, but I was talking about like some of my favorite styles of beers, and I love German beers, but they're ales and they're sours. They're Berliner mm-hmm. Weisses and Gosas. And yeah, that yeah, was right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but like, so someone that's more like, more adventurous, <laughs> but still knows that they like German style beers. So I'm like, well, this is something real weird, real different to you. Maybe you were a kid that liked sweets and stuff, and this might be perfect for you. But here's another German style beer. Mm-hmm. Let's have a go. A lot of people, when they think of German styles too, they might not know that like a Berliner Weisser or Goza is a legit right. German style yeah. mm-hmm. that is well outside of what most people think of when they think of German beers. They yeah. think of like clean, pale lagers and maybe have a yeah. So the conversation ended. We had some technical difficulties. It's going to pick back up in the next episode where we're going to dig deeper into styles. I hope you enjoyed. Again, don't forget to like, share, follow, tap that AZ. And if you don't mind, do the same for Inkledew, I-N-K-L-E-D-E-U-X. And with that, everybody, we'll say adieu.